0: Future trends, deep insights, industry leaders. This is the iGaming Next podcast with your host, Pierre Lindt.
1: Hello, iGaming intelligentsia. Before we start today's podcast, here is a message from our sponsors. The iGaming Next podcast is made possible with the support from our sponsors at Pragmatic Solutions, leaders in intelligent platform technology. I've been working with Ashley Lewis and the guys over at Pragmatic Solutions over the last year and as the early supporter of this podcast, I cannot recommend them enough. The Pragmatic Solutions player account management platform is an incredibly powerful technology stack for today's gaming business. Their modern modular platform provides all the core services to power your business and their SaaS licensing model allows you to reduce cost. And accelerate your strategic goals enterprise technology with decades of operational know-how at scale built in upgrade your business to the pragmatic solutions pam platform visit www.pragmatic.solutions to arrange a platform demo
0: This podcast is brought to you by Aaliyah Play, a new generation game aggregator which provides over 5,000 games with only one integration. Partnering with 80 game providers, Aaliyah is offering top iGaming content while positioning itself as a tech leader with Amazon Web Services and Java-based platform. Aaliyah's goal is to create an innovative and fun experience for the players. To find out more, visit Aaliyah.com. This podcast is brought to you by Pragmatic Play, an industry leading content provider of slots, live casino, bingo, and virtual sports. Pragmatic Play excels at creating an immersive, engaging, and mobile focused experience for players, with over 200 HTML5 games that are available in all currencies, 31 languages, and all major certified markets. Discover more at pragmaticplay.com.
1: Good afternoon. Good afternoon, uh, Robin. How is everything on your end?
2: good to see you again Pierre uh, I'm great it's uh, result season and uh, the most exciting part of the result season for us it is from the Nordics uh, with the evolution that's on come the kindred the big Nordic giants uh, at least uh, traditionally the giants in the industry reporting
1: absolutely it's it's, uh, it's that week of the quarter where all the four giants Scandinavian uh, operators and suppliers are, are are reporting at the same time, which uh, makes this uh, podcast obviously uh, highly interesting. As we are gonna uh, see if we can do a little bit of an analysis of uh, where the industry is heading and where these organizations are, are heading, of course. And um, you know, I was thinking just uh, I, I noted something interesting here, I mean, The the story of the Q three reports, in some sense, is very much of what's going to happen in the q4 reports uh and i think that's where uh, the investors are looking at the moment um, and i i think let's uh if we jump into straight away uh, looking at evolution uh quarterly report came out today uh as we were saying. um you know a funny thing that i noted in the quarterly report is evolution have stopped mentioning all-time high ebitda <laughs> evolution have stopped mentioning all-time high uh, um, revenues because it just happens every quarter it's uh it's just a simple fact of life the sky is blue the sea uh, the, the water is wet and evolution is setting all-time highs every quarter but still the um, investors are have reacted negatively to the report i think that um, they the, the, the share price is down something like seven eight uh, percent in the time of this writing and so i'd love to just pass over the ball to you here robin what, what's your uh, analysis and thoughts on evolution and, and the report that came out today
2: um, let's take a step back here, and uh, prior to this call, when we were discussing uh, to do it, and uh, kudos to you for inviting sort of an industry man uh, on board to such a call. Uh, I think uh, it is interesting to talk from an industry perspective on how we see these companies. Uh, we, we often hear analysts, and uh, and uh, they are good, they are important, but uh, I think it is also important to have the voice of the industry represented here. And um, and uh, if you look at uh, the reports, you and I had a chat uh, before. Obviously, the Betson report was still out, but you asked me uh, how I saw the reports, and uh, it was three year pending once, and I said, uh, "Kindred down, come not stable slightly up, and uh, I thought evolution <laughs> would be up, because um, I was expecting a very strong report, and uh, obviously, they have been down today, and that's very interesting. Uh, before discussing that, let's go a little bit bigger picture, because this quarter is very special in many ways. Um, perhaps the first pre-pandemic quarter, Um, I'm obviously fully aware that the pandemic uh, is not to be underestimated and is still uh, raging around the world, but uh, it has looked better in many of the countries in which these companies are in, and society has opened up again. And obviously, if you look at the global data, then... uh, gaming in general um, was starting to stagnate slightly compared to the historical growth rates that we've seen on a compound level over the last 15-20 uh, years prior to the pandemic. And then obviously the pandemic changed everything and we now see uh, expected compound growth rates online north of 20% as sort of a benchmark to compare these reports to. And um, in general, we're anticipating online gambling to be about 30% of land-based gambling now pretty soon. And uh, so there has been a lot of tailwind throughout the whole uh, second half uh, of 2020, uh, throughout the first part of 2021, then leading us up to this report where we're now at the uh, perhaps the end of the most intense part of the pandemic. And so the question is obviously uh, how much of the growth we have seen is sustainable and uh, how will this impact the companies for the long term? So perhaps that is somewhat guiding uh, the caution uh, on the outlook in which many investors uh, feel uh, around these companies now for Q4. And if you look at evolution um, specifically, uh, by the looks of it, uh, fantastic report. Revenues 276, up 97%, DBTA uh, 192, a healthy 70% margin of 113%. A fantastic report by all means. Although some of that uh, growth uh, is coming from acquisitions, and the uh, underlying organic growth wasn't that strong. Now, uh, perhaps the most respected company in our industry over the last uh, two years, and they have uh, been one of the few companies to properly innovate. They've opened up new categories such as game show, and it's just been a Uh, breathtaking run um, and display from arguably the best management in the industry and uh, it's been so interesting to follow as an industry man because uh, they certainly provided a lot of value to the industry and they will continue to do so you might ask yourself though, how uh, are they going to continue to add to this success um you know, how are they now going to take the EBTA from 192, growing 113% to 400 million to 600 billion in the years to come? And uh, you're reaching a size with evolution now where you might have to ask yourself whether uh, sort of the industry is large enough to support the growth in which uh, they need to keep uh, displaying if the share price is going to continue having the same momentum as it historically has had. And I think if you go a bit deeper into the report and um, and uh, you start to look at it, I think the sort of the most interesting thing, I know this was uh, the the split between geographies. Now, if you look at the sort of the quarters for 2021, starting with the Nordics, you know, 60 million in uh, Q1, 60 million in Q2, and now 90 million in Q3 If you go to the UK, 21 million in Q1, 19 million in Q2, 19 million in Q3. Rest of Europe, arguably a lot of uh, Germany, was uh, in that uh, in that uh, bracket previously. 104 million in Q1, 104 million in Q2, 103 million in Q3. So there isn't much growth in what throughout the year in what has historically been the strongest markets, meaning that the uh, growth has to come from the remaining market, Asia, North America, and others. Now in Asia, they've gone from 53 million to 65 to 76. And obviously the question is, can they continue to take market share from Asia gaming through partnerships and uh, how quickly can they grow there and how large can they become? North America, um, 21 in Q1, 27 in Q2 and 31 in Q3. Now, how fast can this market grow? How many states will regulate casino in the sort of midterm and and sort of so so where is evolution going to find growth? Now, if you uh, look at the um, the RNG segment, then uh, net and Red Tiger, growing at three percent. Um, most of the growth in RNG coming from big time gaming. Where obviously there is a lot of license revenue, from megaways, ways. Um, question is how much that can grow. And um, I, so the question, I guess, around the report remains. Okay, Evolution, phenomenal company, arguably uh, the strongest sort of operation in the industry at the moment, in many ways, perhaps compare that with Ente and uh, a few others, uh, but where, irrespective of how you they know, where are they going to find a reasonable growth to continue to support the share price increase that investors have uh, have enjoyed over the last uh, years? Um, so that's uh, the initial thoughts of the
1: report. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I and mean, I, I guess the... Uh... The story here is twofold, it's, uh, as you rightly mentioned here, the uh, the growth uh, from Netant and Red Tiger has only been 3% uh, quarter on quarter, essentially still stagnant um, almost a year or pretty much on the day a year after the acquisition was announced of uh, Netant and Red Tiger here. And um, we've seen the product uh, plan being rolled out uh, over the last quarter with uh, which releases under Red Tiger and Netant. Um, that was supposed to lift uh, those brands but we haven't seen uh, that uh, uh, that increase in revenue uh, yet and, and uh, the second part of this as you mentioned is uh, on the North American side of things um, it's very much up to the regulator perhaps uh, what states are going to open up eventually and I mean uh, Robin you obviously are quite in the know in general on an operator level uh, seeing that you're Obviously have your own experience from that side of the fence. Um, what's your thoughts on uh, on North America in general and the states uh, opening up uh, for for casino as we move forward because America obviously is traditional sports betting uh, centric um, does it is is it so sure that uh, that so many more states will open up for casino in the near term or is this uh, not as straightforward as perhaps many analysts believe?
2: I am uh, a layman in that regard, but uh, I do speak with uh, lawyers and um, regulators in the U.S. and with companies over there, and I do get their take on the situation. And uh, one thing is what companies are saying publicly, another is the confidence they're displaying in more private conversations. And uh, I've been bullish on the American market, I always believe that the regulation of uh, of online gambling casino would uh, always follow suit uh, once sort of the initial uh, sports betting um, round is finished. Um, and I do think uh, when you see the amount of states that has introduced a single that they will introduce can uh, regulations that uh, it has been fairly reasonable to assume so. But of course, it won't be as quick as people believe uh, back when the sports betting market opened up uh, and past was propelled, I told investors that, uh, yes, this is great, uh, but it will take more time than you think. It's not done in a year, uh, you know, it will take a few years to open up all the states and to establish the market and, uh, and so forth. And I think the same will happen in casinos. So obviously, a question is, um, you know, for evolution's sake, with, uh, with revenues now of 32 million, um, how fast will it open? Um, in order for them to uh, continue to grow uh, the group revenues as a whole. And uh, that is a crucial question uh, for the share price.
1: Yeah, and uh, Martin Callison was very bullish on the North American market uh, a couple of months ago. He did a, a rare interview where he, he, he claimed that the North American market could become 10 times bigger than the European market. Uh, eventually now the question is of course how long that is going to to take and so on um and i i guess another question here as well robin is um i guess it's uh maybe uh not the easiest to, to answer this but wh- why do you think uh, the rng side of the business is seemingly stagnant uh still is this due to the legacy in in Netent who kind of had seen its glory days when it had, when it was acquired What what is needed to turn the ship around on that front
2: So I think we're perhaps a little bit too short term on Evolution and the RNG business. Uh, I think they knew what they did when they acquired a very strong brand. Uh, Evolution is running through a network model. They don't uh, contract uh, directly with customers. And uh, therefore, a brand is very important to be recognized across this network. The problem was that NetEnt had an uh, enormous legacy issue in their technology. And one of the most encouraging parts of the Evolution report was the very strong focus they have on refactoring the platform and relaunching the platform. And uh, as operators throughout the industry has known over the last months uh, how there is a single integration point of evolution. And this um, is the start of a reform of the net brand, I think, and uh, for them to release new content quickly to operators. It is often so in a company that um, the success um, you have operationally within uh, an organization only sort of materializes a year or two after the strong run you actually had. So my point is, if Evolution have done something amazing, inside this year, Perhaps you won't see it before, uh, let's say, the second half of uh, next year and uh, the years to follow afterwards. Um, The market doesn't always appreciate the time it takes. uh, And uh, likewise, when companies are running well and uh, management are not doing a good job, then uh, perhaps the decline will come the year after. Um, So I'm cautiously optimistic. I know how strong the evolution team is, and I know what they have done, uh, a little bit about what they've done. on the platform side there and uh, i believe that that will greatly fuel uh, what is obviously an enormously strong brand uh, on the rng content what's more interesting though is sort of the rg content's relevance as a whole and uh, how strong that product vertical sits in the current customer demographics and uh, whether that in itself is something that can help fuel the growth of evolution um, the margin in the first place, um, typically, our, you know, r and content is selling at uh, anywhere from, you know, four or five percent in some markets to perhaps up to as much as 11, 12 percent with some TUC and D operators, while shows is selling at a much higher price. And uh, the evolution margin is at 70 percent. And uh, I think most investors are following their bottom line growth and not their top line growth. And uh, if you can reasonably assume that it will be hard to improve the margin, then you um, even if you manage to get revenue growth in the RNG content, are they really going to be able to not dilute the margin through increasing the share of wallet of that part of the product catalog? And uh, that remains to be seen. So um, another very interesting point to follow is obviously how they have released new game categories. And perhaps if you go bigger picture, if you're thinking sort of how evolution can grow into the future and become that 400, 600 per quarter million bottom line uh, company then uh, they actually need to take responsibility now as one of the largest companies gambling worldwide for growing gambling as an industry to new demographics go past the original six, 7% of the population. How can they turn out content that the 10% is interested in and that 11% is interested in. And that is a challenge that Todd and his team has at the moment, but they seem to be taking it very seriously. So that's more, perhaps for me as an industry person, of the most exciting parts of the report and uh, sort of the strategic outlook, what are they going to do on the content and the product side to take that company into the future?
1: Yeah. Uh, and obviously, we've seen a lot of innovation from from Evolution here. As you rightly mentioned, they they invented the 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 product vertical of the game shows, of course. And um, a- another way, I guess, to 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 grow is to buy revenue, essentially, or to acquire other companies. And I notice here that you're sitting in a very interesting chair here, Pramatic Pramatic <laughs> Play, uh, the nemesis, if you will, of um, Evolution. And so we speculated a little bit here before. You know what could be some potential um acquisition possibilities of evolution and and you pointed out Robin that um it's difficult for evolution to acquire while still maintaining this uh, incredibly high EBITDA margin it seems like the BTG um acquisition was a hand in glove for that very reason it was a low cost and high revenue generating uh, organization but uh what, what do you think Robin like uh, acquisition wise I mean the speculation from analysts that uh, evolution would acquire a sports for example but sportsbook obviously is, is really low margin so that seems very unlikely it's also um, an area where the business is completely unproven in uh, so I, I think from an industry point of view that would seem very unlikely that uh, that they would uh, that they were going into a new vertical but uh, where do you see acquisitions coming from if any for evolution <sighs>
2: I haven't been a fly on the wall in their management and uh, (laughs) they seem to be smarter than me. But uh, if I were to speculate, then uh, I would presume that uh, this company who has always been very disciplined and very strategic uh, in their timing and their their choices uh, will uh, be very cautious. Um, They have currently, uh, you know, three um, at least you can add a couple of smaller acquisitions there as well, but three major acquisitions where they uh, are still integrating it into the company and uh, where they have a lot of approval for the investors. And if anything, I think the company would be very certain to not lose investor sentiment. And uh, so I think they will focus on that. And uh, <laughs> I don't really see them aspiring to grow through more acquisitions in the R&G space. I think they rather would want to demonstrate their capability to innovate through uh, the, you know, the fundament that they now have acquired themselves into. And uh, to the second part of your question, though, that I think that's more interesting you know, whether they, you know, because even if they do acquire an R&G uh, um, sort of a, provider it won't be transformative for the business as a whole their casino in their dna they're the strongest casino company in the world at the moment um, yes they can add more uh, content to their catalog but it won't be transformative and it will certainly not improve their margin because there isn't a single company out there left that has a higher margin than evolution so uh, for anything it would be to gain scale and um, the second question you are asking there is whether they would acquire a book. and i think that's a more interesting question and again i think The company, uh, you know, I met a few of the management and founders throughout the years and discussed with them, and they have always seems very disciplined and focused to me and um, very clear cut in uh, what they do. And um, I don't think they're going to go and acquire a sportsbook now. It would be too risky for a company That, but. whether it would be an interesting strategic move in a three to five year perspective, whether uh, it would be something, you know, I think that door is still a little bit open, um, but not very likely.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think you you bring up the the question here of discipline, I guess, from the from the leadership. It's I guess it's easy being in being a CEO and and the leadership evolution and having pressure from shareholders and question how will you. How will you grow the share price essentially? And the easy way out, so to say, the easier route is to to acquire or enter a new vertical and so on. But it's uh, potentially then that would be a a short term play, let's say. And the disciplined way would be to grow more organically and to kind of take a step by step and potentially Um, taking uh, a step back in order to take three steps forward.
2: And if if you look at evolution and what is their core strength, and uh, they have something which. Very few, if any gambling companies have online, which is they have a strong competitive position. Facebook have a strong competitive position within social networking. Evolution is actually one of the very few companies that have a strong competitive position in terms of sort of the true meaning of strategic positioning in the sense that I think they're perhaps the only company which provides content in the casino space that an operator in most parts of the world cannot make do without. (laughs) <laughs> okay so uh, you can perhaps take away i'm not going to name drop anyone but one of <laughs> the top four or five uh, contenders in the slot space right and mm-hmm. you'll still fare fine but you can't take away evolution as a live casino so and why is that because they have focused on building the nitty-gritty improvements throughout the years which have eventually turned into a enormous product advantage right which have manifested itself in terms of a brand advantage also down to the player level. So I think what it's in their, the, you know, their core uh, strength as a company is actually to be innovative on a product level. Yeah, they're fantastic operationally, they're fantastic uh, sales-wise, marketing-wise, they take care of their client and all of that. But it all stems from their ability to deliver the best product. And that is something I don't think they will forsake. I think they rather will try to find growth by utilizing that to grow Casino as a whole.
1: Mm-hmm. interesting yeah it'll be it'll, it'll be interesting to follow here the the next steps of of evolution and, and like you're mentioning here where are they going to find growth and uh, i think uh, most interestingly will be to see q4 and q1 on the rng growth uh, particularly that's uh, that's going to be very interesting to see uh shall we jump over to uh, kinder uh, here so next uh, step robin Uh um, also very interesting and, and also a report that is uh mostly concerning the uh, shareholders for what's going to come in the next report more than what happened in this report. But um, nonetheless here, uh, the um, Kinder report uh, came out the other day, seemingly quite strong figures. Again, uh, Kindred fell on the uh, on on the uh, on the stock market about, uh, I think, uh, something like 10 to 11% yesterday. Uh, and that is very much based on what's going to happen in the next quarter. But uh, what, what's your thoughts here initially on uh, Q3 21 of Kindred?
2: um Kindred is now a casino company. It has historically been known as Unibet and as a sportsbook-led company. They are now a casino company with uh, close to sixty uh, percent of the revenues coming from casino. And uh, if you look at, um, you know, at the year-over-year uh, growth, uh, if you take Kindred, for instance, uh, the sportsbook declined with four uh, percent, and their casino grew with sixteen percent. Okay, so that's uh, the first very interesting uh, sort of. Um, Element to take notice of. Um, if you look at the Kindred as a whole, momentum in Belgium, okay. However, Superbet just acquired Napoleon and is coming in with a very strong proprietary offering in Belgium. And uh, Superbet has uh, proprietary prices, they're very good, and they're going to get some very tough competition there. Um, they have a reliance on France, France was down, the climate around gambling in France is uh, not very good at the moment politically and uh, there is restrictions coming on marketing, or by kindred expanding to other leagues and you know other sports and football and so forth. Um, UK is tough, so they had to withdraw from Netherlands and who knows how quickly they will gain back those revenues uh, once they eventually get the license and how much damage has been done and how costly it will be to uh, attract and reactivate those customers. So, I mean, the whole, Western, uh, the whole Western European segment, which is a very large chunk of uh, kindred revenue, is very much up in the air. Now, uh, that's not to sort of paint it black. They are very strong in uh, some of these markets, um, but yeah, it, it requires very strong execution if they're going to continue to grow. If you go to the Nordics, um, massive payment issues in Norway, and if you look at that market, which is historically a very strong market for Kindred, either it's going to get tougher as an offshore market or it's going to regulate either way, Kindred is going to lose. And um, Finland, where they also have a, a lot of strong traction, is a market that is going to have uh, you know banking implications uh, next year. and. Uh, which eventually also will get tougher for offshore operators or regulate, where they also will lose. They've gone into uh, six states in the US. However, they're spending more marketing than having revenues, and despite that, the revenues are declining. Okay, so if you look at those aspects, it's no wonder that uh, the report, uh, you know that many people asking themselves, where is Kindred going as a company? However, let's not forget that, if you look at it from an industry perspective, Kindred has perhaps been the company I'm going to be careful here because there's many good companies in our industry, but from an operator perspective, you know, if you go to the traditional Malta companies and all the companies come up over the, the last 20 years, they've been known as a very strong organization. It's a really strong company. It's a really professional company. They uh, have grown into France. They have grown into the UK. They have grown into Belgium. And they still have uh, Denmark, which is a very strong market for them, and uh, you know there's a in partnership with uh, actually Copenhagen Insurance sponsorship, you know. So I mean, if there's anybody can do it, that is them. But while their operational execution is strong, while their marketing is strong, while their product is strong, where are they going strategically? And uh, what is the plan for Kindred as a whole? Is it to stay in these markets and grow and become a top one, two, three in all of these markets and just stay there? Are they thinking bigger? Which leads me on to obviously they acquired relaxed, they have gone into the US, and uh, perhaps there is something there. Is Kindred a company that is now vertically integrating to utilize their operational expertise to create a really seamlessly integrated company that is very strong, that is in several US markets? Um, are they positioning themselves perhaps for consolidating with somebody larger? Who knows? That many people is um, is thinking so. So I mean. The takeaway from the report, I guess it's, it wasn't going to be a good report, and it's been favorites um, and issues now in the start of uh, of uh, this quarter, and uh, they had all the issues with the Netherlands, um, but fundamentally, I don't necessarily that changes the future of Kindred to be value accretive if they continue to execute as good as they've always done, and to position themselves uh, to perhaps integrate with an even larger group.
1: Right, really interesting, Robin. I mean, to to summarize, it seems that uh, looking at Western Europe, particularly and the Nordics, uh, the industry is facing strong headwinds uh, at the moment. A lot of uh, uncertainty, as you mentioned here, with uh, with Norway, um, Finland going to regulate, uh, and 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 obviously, like we have been heard hearing repeated, repeated over and over and over, is the uh, the Netherlands, of course, and the um. The quick one eighty that uh, that happened in that market where where Kindred had to close shop from one day to the other, and I think something that perhaps the investors um, are not aware of is uh, the fact that while Kindred will return to that market um, the regulator does not allow kindred to use the database that they have built up over the last twenty years, right so existing customers have to register a new account uh. Kindred is not allowed to send any form of marketing related messages to that database that they have built up over the last 20 years. So Kindred is entering a completely new market from scratch and not to underestimate the fact that Bet365 particularly, who did uh, grant, was granted a license, uh, they have a six to nine months head start in that market. To acquire players. And so, while when Kindred does go live, together with stiff competition from other operators who will, who will seemingly go live at the same time, uh, it's going to take a lot of investment in that market, I would imagine, uh, before they even uh, turn profitability uh, again. And, and obviously, taxes on top of the revenue and so on and so forth. Um, I mean, it seems to me, and, and you know, above all of this is the fact that one third of Kindred's EBITDA came from the Netherlands, right? So they are shopping off a third of the revenue from one day to the other, which is seemingly not going to come back from that market ever, potentially. Mm. Uh, I think that's important to, to, to realize that, that fact that it's not just a temporary loss of revenue. It's a, it's a long-term loss. Yes, and
2: uh, uh, I don't think Netherlands came as a surprise uh, in terms of Kindred for... Uh... Or sort of the industry, at least, and uh, I think most of the investors was also aware of uh, the uh, of the uh, sort of share of wallet they had of Kindred's profit. Uh, but let's not underestimate that they've been there a very long time now. And when while there was little competition, they've been able to build a relationship with many customers. And uh, the customers who are at Kindred is generally typically very happy. So I have no reason to not believe that they have delivered a very good uh, customer experience for all those years to the customers in Netherlands, even though they aren't necessarily registered now and there are coming competition um, once they hopefully will be allowed to enter Netherlands again in Q2, then from an about line marketing perspective, it shouldn't necessarily take that much to ask customers to quickly register again and continue playing, provided they uh, are reasonably satisfied with customer experience so far. Mm-hmm. So I think it is going to be costly, but perhaps not as costly as many would fear. It can in no way or shape or form be compared with a new entrant. And I think that's very important. You won't see those marketing deltas uh, that the new entrant would have to build uh, you know, top of mind. And, uh, and the brand awareness uh in uh, in netherlands so um perhaps six months um and they will get back on the grind but uh, obviously as you mentioned in terms of profitability there is a tax there now and um, which is very high and uh, that will take a long time to absorb into by sort of operational efficiency and brand awareness and they've had strong competition so we'll never get back to the numbers there was but uh, as investors we only look at it from today and onwards but early share price will increase we don't think about the past so in that uh, sense it is interesting to look at the growth prospect as as sort of uh, they look now not what has been
1: yeah right and um Robert, i must uh, check as well so we, you mentioned here in north america as well which uh, kindred have you know publicly uh, um obviously gone in really uh, really hard and tried to uh, they are they are investing heavily into that market in order to establish themselves they had a they had as a goal, according to Manistan, the SVP of North America and Kindred, to achieve high single digit market cap in in uh, in the states where they go live. And now, a year later or so, uh, I think um, that is nowhere near to be the case, of course. And as you pointed out here as well, they they decreased the revenue from North America, quote unquote, with 15%. And that is after activating. Their NFL partnership, for example, and, and other sports uh, partnerships as well, uh, and so it, and and also the group revenue from North America, I think, is somewhere around one and a half percent at the moment, uh, and it, the market is not profitable. So I don't want to sound too negative or too not so balanced here with Kindred, but I'm just going to ask you, uh, Robin, if you were to make an investment case for Kindred, what would be your uh, argument? If you would take Henrik uh uh, hat now and, and, and convince the investors why uh, Kindred is a company for the future. What would be your uh, arguments?
2: Watch a bet and bet an operational uh, efficiency and strong management. Um, I don't believe in the US prospects. I don't think they have a brand. I don't think they have an in-house platform. It's going to be very costly to build and operate and maintain one. And. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be tough. Uh, you know, they're stuck in the marketing uh, trench or crackmire that everybody else is in that market. So that's tough, but uh, they might know something I don't. And uh, therefore, we give them the benefit of the doubt uh, despite uh, the first year. However, um, look at what the company is churning out. Okay, what is the um, what is one of the sort of tokens of a very well run organization is that they actually are able to innovate that they're able to predict the future and that they're able to create something that uh, truly brings value to their customers. And they recently come out, to come out with a product called Watch and Bet and we discussed it there if you don't if you remember uh, before yep. they came out with that, that uh, in a podcast here I believe that uh, yep. a product like this has to come if you're looking at okay where is the sportsbook industry going? Perhaps the time where you sat and uh, had sort of a uh, card-based or a list-based odds uh, on a website while you watched the match on the TV is about to disappear. You know, with two-way TV coming for streaming and so forth. Perhaps uh, it needs to be a much more interactive experience where uh, you're watching the match, you're watching streamers, presenters while you're betting there and then. what you, bet come, what you should bet on comes to you rather than sort of scrolling endless list of markets and odds. And they clearly seem to have been taking that seriously and uh, they're one of the first movers in the space. and um, they wrote as a little note in that report that not many people perhaps noticed that it had received a very nice welcome from their customers and obviously people would say that in general, but Kindred is a strong and very serious and professional company that don't tend to you know muddle about uh, with their statements so i tend to trust the management when they're saying that uh, the early interactions with this product has been very good and obviously it's an mvp but is it a direction for sports betting where kindred can maybe not be 10 times better from a technological perspective than their competitors but be there very very early on and develop a proposition that is very attractive and therefore continue to grow as a sports book and uh, therefore gain edge in some of these markets and so forth and that i think is very interesting so I would still say that it's a very smart management it's a very strong operation and they're showing uh, an ability to innovate at a product level and that needs to be an investment case and then there is a strategic question and sort of a market question and how they succeed that uh, they will surely address
1: Yes, and, and I would add to that as well that uh, you know I committed myself here earlier in the year that uh, if Kindred doesn't get acquired by the end of the year, I would eat my sock. Uh, and uh, and so I would still say that for anyone who is listening, uh, Kindred is now at a discount. Uh, and uh, if you're um, a media company in the US, for example, looking to uh, enter iGaming or, or if you're a land-based uh, casino looking to uh to go online uh kindred would seemingly be an excellent uh, uh, potential acquisition i would uh, i would add to that as well who knows
2: i believe that was the sock you ran the marathon in here
1: yes that we have a, that we, we have another bet here. yes <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, we, that we need to do it as well <laughs> uh, moving over to uh, uh, betson here robin our uh, uh, one of our most favorite uh, old uh, legacy brands uh, here there's been a lot of turbulence in betson for for once you know uh, Betsson. Usually... are we getting tabloid now <laughs> yeah we're going now we're going full tabloid yes and uh, <laughs> pontus uh, uh, obviously pontus lindvall the uh, original ceo of Betson ab from 1999 uh, a lot of legacy from from pontus and his own family obviously being a major shareholder in Betson. um they went through this recently where um, the the board decided to let go of Bets, of, of uh, pontus lindvall uh, in, in in the quest for new leadership. Now, as we all know, this, um, this was reversed. The uh, shareholders were not consulted, including Pontus' uh, own family, which is one of the major shareholders in, in Batson Group. And um, they decided to basically reverse this decision, let go of the chairman of the board and reinstate Pontus Lindvald as CEO of Betsson uh, AB. In the middle of all of this, uh, all of a sudden uh, Netherlands happened. They had to drop that market. And um, and uh, then, of course, came the quarterly report here uh, the other day. So, so Robin, again, I pass over the ball to you here. After all the drama, after all the things that are happening in Bethson, um, what what's your take uh, here in general?
2: Uh, I might be a little bit biased, but what the hell is going on? I mean, uh, <laughs> here is my outlook. having lived in Malta for uh, my share of my life. Um, Betson was when I arrived to Malta in uh, 2010, the company to work for. They were the coolest yep. kid on the block. They were the most uh, innovative company that did acquisitions. And uh, it was where everybody wanted to go. And uh, for reasons uh, that can be discussed up and down, that changed. Um, for a while there, Betson was known as the iGaming University in Malta. They were bleeding employees. Everybody wanted to leave. and. Uh, Many, many companies uh, rose in the wake of the downfall of Betson in that period, albeit not as clear on the operational KPIs. Obviously, they had a very strong position as a very early mover, and um, with the strong execution they have, it was serious trouble going on in that business. And uh, then that has been turned around. Okay, when I speak with people in Malta now, Betson is again a very well respected company They managed to put in place a very strong management, uh, a very savvy management, uh, you know. And uh, who has been on top of this, it's uh, Pontus, who uh, has been around the eye game industry since forever, He seems like a very street smart person uh, behind the, the uh, sort of more logical uh, exterior facade and uh, who everybody knows in, in the industry. So I mean, uh, yes, you can look at KPIs from one quarter to another these things, but look at the overall trend. Um, have company confidence gaining respect that is becoming increasingly attractive to work for, that is all also, managing um, to address one of the major question marks that has been around Betson, which is your sports book. Okay, mm-hmm. so Betson has obviously been a casino company uh, for all these years, and while the year after year after year tried to become a sports book, we all know that building a sports book is enormously difficult, much more difficult than a casino, and uh, you know and their uh, account management system. But over the last years, they have managed to. And uh, if you look at the last report, they had an increase in sports book of 24%, for instance, which is uh, not too shabby at all. Um, if you look at them from a strategic perspective, for instance, compared with Kindred, who has over these years become much larger than Betson, um, look at the market mix of Betson and what's going on. So uh, they have markets such as Italy, Central Europe, Asia, and Latin growing at a good pace um so i mean here we have a management that dares to take risk you know they have acquired some minor companies they have managed to grow them they are in markets that in the uh, two to four year perspective uh, will probably regulate but over the next zero to three year perspective will probably be very attractive in terms of taxation and uh, so forth after all um player um investors they care about uh, growth prospects and bottom line and uh, margin And uh, I mean, it must have been quite a turnaround for Batson to identify these new emerging markets. And if you look at the Central European markets, then regulators are typically much more business friendly. If you look at Latin America, regulators have barely started, and the market is growing quickly. Um, Italy as well, very attractive market. And now they've also gone into uh, parts of Asian markets. So I mean. They don't sit there with the same issues as, for instance, Kindred, that is stuck in um, UK, which is becoming increasingly difficult. France, that is becoming increasingly difficult. Netherlands, that is becoming increasingly difficult. Although Betson for Orange obviously had those issues too. But they are now growing in markets that are very interesting um, from a growth perspective. So, I mean, Betson is perhaps a little bit more opportunistic in their strategy, but from an investment perspective, you might feel that they will pay off over the next zero to 24 months.
1: Yeah, it's a it's it's a it's a very interesting uh, company. I mean, I, I spoke to Pontus uh, Lindvall here a couple of days ago in regards to their quarterly report, and uh, we spoke about the emerging markets in general and and um, uh, the uh, the ability to not be so dependent on uh, European revenues uh, as we see here with the with the headwind uh, that the European markets are facing, and. Um, one of the things that I noted in the quarterly report uh, that I mentioned to, to uh, Pontus as well, is the fact that Africa, if you do a control F in the, uh, in the quarterly report and you search Africa, it's not mentioned a single time, right? And if you remember a year ago, uh, BetSafe launched uh, through, uh, in Kenya and um, that was one of the emerging markets that, uh, that Betson was, uh, was hoping, had a high fo- hopes for and I asked Pontus about this is uh, why is Africa not mentioned at all and he said that uh, the revenue from Africa is uh, negligent uh, for the moment and, and he himself admitted that it's been a disappointment actually uh, the African uh, revenues uh, here in, in, in general and he's looking more towards uh, Latin America, Canada and so on uh, for, for, for growth uh, over there um, so What's your thoughts in general, Hami? Mean, I don't know if you have any insights into, into Africa in general. Is this a a local kind of, let's say, overestimation by uh, by Betson, or is this an industry-wide uh, fault uh, to overestimate the African market?
2: You do have uh, companies that have been very successful in in Africa, Sport stuff, for instance, and uh, many others, but I think it's still a little bit too... Early it's a it's a massive opportunity for many early companies and uh sort of for smaller growth prospects and it's really coming up and uh, many people are exciting at it for it now following sort of let them but when you look at the total revenues of that sum and uh the growth they need to have in order to instill confidence in the, in the market then uh perhaps it's a little bit too early but it will definitely come so is he doing a smart thing um Dipping its toes into that market and learning and getting insights and getting connections and so forth. Yes, is it going to take a long time to build it up to sustainable large revenues? Also, yes. But as a shareholder, I would applaud him at least if I was very long-term in uh, in the stock. So uh, again, I think you're just showing that there is a savvy management that understands that there might be a bit of transformation, they understand the regulatory uh, winds, they understand the marketplace on a worldwide basis. They've been around since forever. They understand that ultimately, as a company, you need to drive profits and uh, growth for investors, at least one of them. And uh, I think they have turned uh, the ship over the last years into a direction where you now can see that coming in the future. Uh, Although some of that would be mitigated by, you know, difficulties in Norway and Finland and so forth, which is strong markets, difficulties in Holland, as you've seen. But they're definitely positioned, they at least have a strategy that uh, is easy to understand from a pure uh, sort of uh, value creation perspective.
1: Yeah, it's worth noting as well that Betsson still uh, derive 83% of their revenue from Europe. And again, the question of diversification, can they diversify the revenue streams quick enough uh, before... Uh, other markets in Europe uh, kind of take a 180 turn potentially as well. Um, it, you know, we, you, you mentioned Norway here, of course, the Finland and so on. Um, what what uh, What's your expectations here in general now, Robin? I mean, uh, Betsong is clearly very Nordic facing and um, there's been these challenges in Norway, of course, and uh, it, it hasn't been, really been that much communication of what's happening in Norway particularly and, and then Finland, uh, Finland again. Uh, is, is this something that um, an investor should be concerned about?
2: Um, as mentioned earlier, Norway is either go, it's, it's going to go in one of two directions. It's either eventually going to regulate in a few years' time, or it's going to be increasingly difficult to operate there. Either way, it is negative. Now, uh, it has been a strong market for most of these companies uh, for years. And uh, obviously, with payment issues uh, that are currently quite massive in Norway, then uh it will be difficult for them to grow but i mean overall this is a small market in the bigger world and has uh some of those 83 percent in markets that are uh that are quite attractive and where they have a strong position and i mean they've taken a hit in germany they've taken uh, a hit in holland and uh, you know they have written down i think they're only left with risk now in uh, uk um so i mean even though the rest of the world in that sense is only perhaps, I don't know, 15%, 17% in that range, if they can grow slightly in Europe and they can add growth from the rest of the world now where they seem to be very well positioned, then you have an investment case, right? Hmm, hmm,
1: hmm. Absolutely. Hmm. I, I think, I mean, the the, uh, the sentiment here, if you if you only look at the, um, the stock market uh, and the share prices of uh, these Nordic-facing brands here in the last uh, month or two, uh, it's been a quite... A bleak story let's say it's uh, very much the sentiment that we are heading into winter uh, as an industry as we are in the climate as well outside here uh, do, do you get this feeling as well and do, do you think this is justified
2: um Yeah, I think it is justified uh, in the sense that uh, you had COVID, uh, you had some major acquisitions in the US, and uh, obviously they created uh, a immediate uh, sort of very positive sentiment around gambling compared to what had been over the last two, three years before that. But uh, we're just heading out of, um, traditionally at least, uh, the uh, weakest quarter of the year, you know, with um, July... August in there and you know September which is not necessarily either a fantastic month uh, for iGaming and we're heading into Q4 which is the best quarter of the year and uh, the question is sort of in these uh, lockdowns and uh, and restrictions you've seen during COVID uh, how much has user habits been changed if you look at, uh, you know, h 2 gambling capital data, for instance, they expect uh, they then to more or less have been perpetually changed. They think that people have uh, migrated online and that, albeit, they will start to get more active again and play more in them based uh, outlets and so forth, that uh, they've changed their habits. And, I mean, if you then have a more resilient uh, growth uh, out of COVID, then perhaps people would have presumed uh, sort of early on in the pandemic and you're heading into the strongest quarter of the year, you know, if it also is going into... Um, the us market now you have a couple of uh, sports starting up there now and that will go into a sort of uh, high season i mean it's to me looking like a strong quarter is coming up um and you know traditionally um i have been i've been almost day trading q4 because i think investors that aren't that exposed to the industry is getting you know always disappointed by q3 and then when q4 comes they i don't know even if we're still 10 years in they seem to not fully really appreciate the seasonality effect on these companies and uh, how strong um, that period actually is so um, cautiously positive
1: about q4 yeah yeah interesting i mean like i said we'll see the effect of uh, of netherlands in q4 but on the other hand traditionally a very strong uh, quarter here. Um, Last but not least, uh, here Robin, I'd like to jump into uh, Canby as well, the last of our four uh, Scandinavian-focused uh, uh, gambling companies uh, here today. Uh, so, so Canby obviously has been facing very strong headwinds uh, here recently, with um, uh, potentially losing RSI. It's not even it's not even uh, something that uh, has been decided yet, but uh, obviously, uh, Rush Street uh, here being one of the major clients of Cam- of Canby. Um, decided to acquire the score and the expectation is that, uh, uh, that they are going to build their own sports betting solution uh, here in the future. Um, at the same time, uh, DraftKings is about to leave uh, be here now as well, which is uh, their kind of the biggest clients, I would say, together with or uh, in a similar level to, to Kindred. And investors I think are now concerned that they are seeing that this business model is fragile. Uh, you know, at any time, some of the biggest uh, clients could leave. Uh, uh, canby and, and uh, canby is obviously uh, they are st- kind of standing and falling on just a couple of major clients that are controlling most of the revenue uh, to canby And and so with this in mind, um, and the the quarterly report that came out here now with seemingly quite stable numbers, what's your again, what's your thoughts here, Robin, on on Cambie as a company and the quarterly report that came out here?
2: I'll go on a limb because. I might be yeah. mistaken, but I believe there was Pen uh, that uh, acquired. Oh, the sorry, store, not Rushway. Uh, yes. Penn uh, Gaming, yep. Uh, yeah, uh, Yeah, they have uh, about five to ten percent of the deep revenues, according to Combe of uh, of come But look, uh, well, very strong quarter. We discussed it before. We expected it to be stable or slightly up, and uh, on share price and uh, I mean revenues, forty-one point six million. I'm reading off here, forty-eight percent growth. Wow well done b2b operator it's not easy to grow 48 percent. you need to sign contracts it's long lead times so you need to integrate them you need to maintain them you need to support them uh, they will always ask a lot of you and uh, you're since they're paying a revenue share you always have to deliver more so uh operating profit of 14.7 million i think is very impressive and uh i think perhaps uh, the biggest concern is obviously that uh you know what is the strategic position of a company going to be? Um, will the uh, strongest sportsbook be delivered by B2 b company or will it be uh, delivered by a B2 c company? And um, what we are currently seeing is that uh, managements in IGaining believes that uh, it will be delivered by ab 2 c company. The larger operators are looking to work in where to integrate to um, control what is a complex product and uh, to gain an edge. And that leaves Kambi in a difficult position because then they uh, basically their business model is uh, taking a hit, Kambi um, is having a premium price on their product. It is been considered uh, at least by them and many people in the market to be the best sports book in the market and therefore it's all that expensive. Now, if uh, the big tier ones is now seeing worth the integration as a way to uh, mitigate uh, regulatory risk, to increase their margin, to gain a operational uh, advantage uh, when they're doing consolidation, when they are doing uh, marketing and so forth, then where does that leave companies like Kongbe? They would have to pick up the tier twos, the tier threes that can't really compete with the tier ones. And if they're getting squashed in the marketplace, then uh, that uh, Will ultimately uh, put even stronger demands in combat to deliver to them. So, how is their strategic positioning looking like? If uh, the current uh, sort of dynamic shift we see in the marketplace, where very large operators are taking over from B two B companies, uh, is continuing to happen, so I think that's um, that's what people fear with them, and probably right for this so um, perhaps uh, some of these early, uh, sort of very promising signs where everybody was rushing to buy their sportsbook and actually did a fantastic job in selling it across uh, the United States, isn't looking as sustainable in the long term. And uh, they still good you know, pen even if they migrate off, if they actually manage to build uh, a proprietary sportsbook out of the score and justify their 2.2 <clears throat> insane valuation, <laughs> then. Uh, you know, will ultimately the market be gobbled up by one or two or three very large companies that have their own in-house sportsbooks and where will come this growth then come from? If you look at what they signed in the quarter, not so impressive. Uh, they are now taking the market leader in Bahamas and they got one of the 10 licenses in um, in Netherlands. However, they're expanding with existing clients and they're doing well on that. And uh, also noteworthy is that Kambay uh, was historically a uh, very simple product in a way, <laughs> okay, they obviously did their own prices and they had some models and uh, perhaps they were copying some prices, but mostly they had a strong take on the market and uh, and uh, they deliver these in a uh, sort of white label sports book that you couldn't really make into too much of a modular product. And uh, they've always been persisting on sort of not selling their prices modular. Uh, you take either all of Kanbe or nothing of Kanbe, although yes. I believe they've become much more lenient there. Whilst uh, what they're currently doing now, you saw their new bar top terminals. Uh, you've seen how they've been able to deploy into shots uh, across the world uh, from a remote basis. They seem to be a far more sort of complex technical operation in the sense that they're mastering the techniques and they've been opening up a bit you can now uh, build your own sportsbook and differentiate on their apis and you know they've been developing this for two to three years and now uh, it's becoming strong and uh, perhaps they will start to sell their odds as well more So uh, the sports are very good this something that can be interesting even to the two ones and so forth so perhaps they need to become a little bit more flexible and that they're on the road to do that to mitigate some of that loss of uh, the larger you know, operators 888 uh, draw draftings and so forth opting to have an in-house uh,
1: support yeah super interesting uh, analysis robin so it's kind of like uh, going from this uh, old school mindset of it's it's all or nothing either you you, you take all of cambys services or you take nothing and now we're moving into a future where uh, the only opportunity for can be perhaps to work with the tier ones is to fragment the, the, the services essentially. Um, but I would also like to raise um, another kind of final question here today, which is, um, you, you spoke about the vertical integration here and the trend, uh, if you will, that you see from the American tier one operators to go proprietary. Um, now, that is absolutely the case that, uh, that uh, this is a, a trend that we are seeing now, but it's also a trend that is not proven yet. Right, the uh, DraftKings is just now, after a long time, uh, a- able to uh, to to migrate uh, into uh, into SP Tech. and we haven't really seen any other major um, ma- major operator uh, migrate into the, the proprietary uh, sportsbook either. So, so the question is, is this perhaps a short-lived? Um, uh, trend that we're seeing and on the on the european side that has not been the case and i, I wonder why this uh, obsession to go proprietary
2: um, so those who know me would uh, know that vertical integration is something i've been predicting uh, or, or sort of evangelizing for quite a number of years now I believe, and believed in and tried to take it the whole way it's obviously very complex and it's very capital exhaustive but i would uh, argue that it has been proven if you look at the largest company in the world now it is insane in terms of uh, our largest operator, at least. Um, and uh, what are they good at? vertical integration. And uh, what was the old strategy of Kenny, you know, from the days he bought Sporting that and the be when, you know, it was to ultimately tie the whole ecosystem together. Which advantage has that given them? Okay, let's start to look at the dynamic shift in the industry as a whole and go a bit big bigger picture so we can understand uh, the value chain and understand where the industry is heading. So the first and most major um, sort of uh, more effect on the industry is regulation. Right. And what's happening? Increased taxation, uh, more limitation on payers, meaning that you earn less on, um, on uh, of a margin on them. And uh, what the company is doing, economies of scale. Okay, so uh, how they're achieving economies of scale is that they are consolidating, and tain, buying business of the business, Gala Coral, and so forth, And you recently almost saw, and Tain and DraftKings even consolidating. So this is the way they're absorbing um, the taxation and the margin pressure. However, that means that one of the strongest capabilities these companies can have is not only sort of regulatory compliance, but also their ability to consolidate companies and to uh, that well, you need to be uh, on your own proprietary tech stack, and uh, perhaps a trend I personally didn't spot at least a few years ago. Now, um, what does happen then is that these companies are looking for um, technology and they're looking for brands. They're trying to absorb it either through increasing the margin on the tech by owning the technology and improving the efficiency, or by buying brands with a high awareness that their marketing efficiency becomes better. What they're not prioritizing is content. So over the last few years, um, content providers such as uh, Net Entertainment, Pragmatic Play, and um, Play and Go Evolution, and so forth, had said heydays. They've not been hit as hard in terms of regulation. The large operators that are sitting on a lot of revenues haven't prioritized this part of uh, of the product and they've been able to grow uh, quickly. Now that's changing. In the US, you're looking at not only sort of the technical part, but you're also looking at companies with an ambition and aspiration to do odds, to do casino content. You see in all the quarterly reports now, uh, they're talking about how many exclusive games that they bought from and party studios and so forth. So, I mean, the pressure is now coming on to the suppliers um, and perhaps some of these suppliers will be rendered sub-suppliers which you would have been in most other industries to the larger operators who will ultimately consolidate and dominate the market. What else do the operators not have time for? Well, it's innovation. You don't see too much innovation coming out of the larger operators. They will claim they are the most innovative companies in the world, I argue not. It's it's been <laughs> coming from the suppliers because they've had the times, they didn't have to deal with much consolidation, acquisition integration, MA activity uh, and so forth. They've been able to innovate and it's come in the offshore markets. So the unregulated markets where obviously don't have—we um, obviously don't have that much to do in terms of regulatory compliance either. So that's where the innovation is currently happening. And of course, uh, those companies are interesting because they can deliver innovation, which perhaps isn't as valuable when they're in offshore markets with a multiple so low, the regulatory future is uncertain. But if they can develop things, they can truly bring up the KPIs of one of these larger companies. Then, uh, then uh, that's very valuable. So. I actually think that you will see an increased trend of vertical integration, of consolidation in the industry. You will see a pressure on the suppliers and uh, you will see uh, only those with a strong brand or strong technology or innovation actually being acquired.
1: That's f- fantastic, uh, Robin. Really interesting to, to to hear the analysis here. And, and like, like we started off with this podcast today, I think... Um it's really important to not only bring on voices uh, that are professional analysts, but uh, in your case, Robin, obviously you're an uh, industry veteran, you're, you're operated operators and suppliers yourself. So, so you have uh, obviously firsthand, uh, um, uh, information on, on these movements within the industry. And, um, so I'd like to thank you today, Robin. This has been absolutely brilliant, super educational for me. I have a little bit better idea now, of kind of, um, where the industry is he- heading and so on. And, um, it's been great, uh, Robin. Do you have any final words as well? Like, uh, w- w- if you if you if you want to give an advice to uh, to the investors that are listening today, uh, is there anything uh, any final words on your end? Um,
2: <laughs> I think it is too early to. Uh, we need to look a little bit more into how things are developing for Q4. But I think there might be very good opportunities uh, ahead of the results season
1: in Q4. Absolutely. Brilliant uh, Robin and um, thank you also last week for a brilliant presentation here at I Give me Next for anyone who is listening today uh, go on YouTube search Robin Reed happy hour and you'll see uh, Robin's new product uh, that that is going to change the industry bringing social into industry a whole new level of players uh, and so on I definitely recommend everyone to check it out but for now Robin thank you so much and I'll see you next time thank you Pierre thank you